Hello, Priority Status listeners. This is Lauren Knudsen, EVP here at JPR, getting back into travel elevated. No one is a foodie, or so the creative director at Infatuation Zagat, Nick Billardello, says. And I suppose he should know, as he's a major player with the team driving forward the two culinary brands created to ultimately meet the people where they are and when they want it. Keep listening to hear all the ways infatuation can bail you out of food decisions, how Zagat's getting new life breathed into it, and the two things Nick says everyone must eat before they die. So we're here today with Nick Billardello from The Infatuation, who is the creative director over there for what, Nick? Three years now? Five yeah, years in eternity? Three years officially. I was part of the company when it first very started in the walls of Atlantic Records. And I was sort of like the art person for the first five years of its existence. But since it's graduated into a much bigger, larger, real company, I've been full-time creative director with them for three years. So Nick and I have known each other for a really long time before any of us did any of these fun things right out of college, I guess. And it's been really interesting to watch your career evolve. So tell us a little bit about who at Nick York City is. Ah, my competence and background is in design. I started in publishing. I designed book covers right out of school. Actually, even as early as high school, I started commercially designing. Then I knew I had always been very passionate about music and wanted to be involved in it. And I finagled my way, a much longer story that I won't go into, into getting into uh, Universal Music Group, which led me to an art director role at Atlantic Records. I spent 11 years at Atlantic Records, where I eventually became creative director. And in that time, became very close with Chris Stang, who was the head of marketing for Atlantic Records, and Andrew Steinthal, who was the head of publicity for Warner Brothers Records. And they, in the walls of Warner Music Group, had started the infatuation. It was bred out of them just being out constantly with artists and going to dinners and shows and out for drinks and were out pretty much six days a week. And they were the kind of the go-to people on where to go and what's cool in New York. And they put that information in just an email newsletter that they would send around to other industry folks. That grew into a website. And when they first launched it, they had came to me and said, hey, actually, I remember this specifically. Chris came to my desk in my office and was like, can you draw me a hand holding a turkey leg? And I was like, what are you actually talking about? And that's how it started. I did the first branding for the infatuation. And as they did it inside the office, I helped them from site direction to event stuff. And it was sort of just a fun side hustle for a long time. And then five years later, they had left to go do the infatuation full time, asked me to come with them, and I said, absolutely not. <laughs> I had been developing my own little bit of an agency, you could call it, but a small group of people that did a lot of advertising stuff, leveraged a lot of social media. Um, at that time, in the music industry, we were doing really cool stuff um, with artists to try to sell a record to a kid for 99 cents. And I realized that brands would be willing to pay millions of dollars for these ideas that we were doing that were innovative and interactive. And we were very tapped into the idea of like an active relationship with an audience where the advertising world was a very passive perspective. 
and we had a lot of success. We did a lot of really interesting stuff for MasterCard and T-Mobile and AT&T and alcohol brands and with artists like Beyonce and Justin Timberlake and really cool stuff. So that was going really successful, which led me to an opportunity at Sony. I left Atlantic to do that full time, moved out to Los Angeles and started working with Ellie Reed and Sony sort of sitting between pictures and film and music and sales. It was really interesting. It was really innovative, but I got thrown into an arena of high profile, powerful people pitching really innovative, new age kind of ideas that they weren't really ready for. It became very challenging. And that's when Chris and Andrew came back. And that was three years ago and said, hey, we've grown. We're really big now and we're growing more. And I'll never forget, Chris said specifically, he's like, I have a Nick-shaped hole in my company, so come fill it. And I think that's was really important to me because I wasn't really just an art director. I wasn't really a designer. I was doing content ideas, original concepts, things that leveraged revenue and advertising. I understood the media landscape. So I did a lot of different things and they needed help with all of that. So that's where I took the opportunity, came back to New York, and it was the best decision I ever made because every day is like the funnest day ever and it doesn't feel like a job. That's the best testament <laughs> to being in the right place. So the Nick-shaped hole is entitled creative director at Infatuation, Correct. but what does that actually mean in this version of creative director? Sure. It's a challenging role in that it needs to oversee and operate and do a lot of different things. The best way to explain it is we are a small advertising agency within a magazine. And at the same time, we are an events company, an events production company, and then also an original programming and original content company. So what that means exactly is that our business model is we are partner revenue based. So everything we do is based on 360 partnerships we do with brands. We like to say all the time, it's more about the brands we don't work with than the brands we do work with. So we don't we do things that are organic and feel natural, brands we really like, that we really use their products or we really believe in what their message or what they're doing is. And we integrate it into what we do in a realistic way. So the infatuation ultimately is a place for restaurant reviews and guides and information about where to go and where to eat in cities all over the world. And brands that want to tap into that belief or passion for younger audiences if it makes sense and we feel like it is connected into that world, we will do a much deeper ad-based partnership with them that feels more like branded content as opposed to sponsored ads. So we do things like photo shoots, uh, video shoots. We publish content that's sponsored by brands, but in ways that make sense, right? Guides like where to eat when you're on a business trip in London, and that will be presented by Virgin Atlantic, right? That it wants to really become the priority airline that makes sense for business travelers when they're going to London. And then at the same time, we are constantly innovating on social. We were one of the first few people to really leverage Instagram stories as a place for us to incubate show concepts. We never really utilized YouTube or felt like long form video was a space for us, but we got really unique and really innovative on Instagram stories and felt like that was a really dynamic place to have fun. So that's another thing I oversee, which is original concepts, show ideas, 
programming within that space that could then ladder up to bigger ideas. One of the things we do in there is called the hundred things to eat before you die, which is like a very simple proposition that you can understand right away. But at the same time, it's really intriguing. Anyone can read a list of those things, but it's really intriguing to watch it in an episodic way every other week we launch another one and you get to see and experience what it's like to wait online for that thing and then get it and unpackage it and almost feel like you can smell it. So that's another thing my team oversees. And then all that being said, from a partnership side, original programming side, I'm obviously trying to purvey our brand identity and how we are perceived in different markets all over the world and what the visual representation of our brand looks like from typefaces to video execution to the voice and the way we say things and everything under the sun as it relates to those areas is sort of my role. I don't even know where to be in with that. You know, so. <laughs> Literally everything. I do everything. <laughs> I feel like every time we get together, my light bulbs go off and I have a million questions. And one of the things I love most hearing about you talk is the way infatuation and specifically you look at the holistic marketing wheel. With priority status, we talk primarily about the travel industry and all things encompassing. But at JPR, we talk a lot about how we think beyond just sort of the traditional vertical of PR and how PR and social media are really brand development. And oftentimes the travel industry is, and hotels specifically, are accused, I would say probably fairly so, of being sort of behind the eight ball with that. And so when I look at what you guys are doing over there and, and hear the things that you're leading the charge on, I'm just like, yes, yes. And want to see more hotel brands do more of these things. For sure. I think at the core, there's two key elements to it all, right? Which is one that we are just trying to tap into and cultivate something that people are already passionate about, right? And when I say tap into... There's a lot of ways to do that, but we do it in a way that's very, very grounded in reality, right? We try to speak to people the way a friend would, and we don't try to feel like our company is food critics or culinary experts or, you know, the last thing we'll ever really care about is like where a chef had studied. Not that that isn't relevant or isn't important. It's because when we're communicating with people, we're trying to get on their level, right? And sure, there's an audience that specifically who the chef is and and where they've come from matters. But for us, when we're talking about the social space and how we like to communicate with people and tap into that passion they have for food is in a very realistic kind of way. And I kind of had mentioned this when I was talking about my story a bit, but I think we're in a world now in which visuals and content is an active action, right? It's an active experience. It's not passive. You're not just being shown stuff anymore or seeing imagery or watching videos. You're literally participating. You're carrying out an ad campaign more than you're just watching it. Or you use travel and hotel experiences. Like In that space, I feel like advertising isn't just saying, hey, look at this beautiful place. It's saying, come experience this place and show other people what it's like to be here. And I think when we talk about restaurants, that's like the most important thing to us is we just try to tell people what it's like there and tell them what scenarios the place is good for. And I think 
when you can get grounded really in reality, like that's the stuff that resonates with people so much now. Again, to leverage hotels, it's like, I feel like there's a space to have fun with it and put yourself in the shoes of people that are there and what it's like for them. And if you have an area of a hotel or a type of restaurant or an event that you think is right, the perfect kind of thing for newlyweds or for children or whatever the scenario may be, try to create that perception, but not in a sense of it making an ad, making it feel like that's really what's going on here and letting people come that feel right for a scenario, tell the story for you. I think one of the things that really helped us become prominent in Instagram became really a big deal. Obviously, the algorithms have changed and all that, but there was this sense of getting regrammed by the infatuation. And that wasn't based on like whether we thought you were cool or whether you had a lot of followers or whether you took a great picture. It was just whether we felt like the content you were giving or creating was relevant for other people to see. And I think that's a space that social has allowed for brands and companies and experiences or locations to really leverage in a way that's amazing for all parties. We're not creating what we want you to see. We're just asking everyone in the world to come do it and tell the best story that they can and make it an active participation in, in a thing that people really care about. What you're talking about really is the hallmark of hospitality. Mm -hmm. And you're exactly right that uh, the travel industry and hotels have the best opportunity, perhaps of anything, to be able to say, yeah, here, imagine yourself here on this beach or having you know this cocktail or sitting in this room or under this palm tree. But I think when you and I were in Mexico, we had Nick and I had the amazing opportunity to go to Tequila, Mexico with the North American delegation from Relay and Chateau earlier this year. And we were there and talking about marketing to millennials. And the conversation was very fun in many levels. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we talked about is millennial is a mindset and it is not necessarily people who are born in this year or that year or not born in. And it wasn't about alienating. It was really about this mindset of meeting people where they are. And that's what you guys have done. You have met people where they are. You mm -hmm. have anticipated that they are going to need to know, to use your example, where to go on a, for dinner on a business trip to London or you know, other examples. I remember seeing a, a list at one point of like the best round booths for a girlfriend's brunch in New York City. Mm -hmm. Or it's super granular and it's all the things you're like, yes, I actually really needed to know that because next week I'm going with girlfriends and I want to sit in a round booth, you know? For sure. I think actually one of the interesting things that like we try to let people in on this process, but when we talk about like what we're going to write about or what our guides are going to be or how we're going to um, push out content, we very rarely ever, like I think most media entities or most editorial staffs kind of run down a list of topics or things that matter right now or hot button things or things that they think will resonate on the internet at a current time. That's like the antithesis of what we do. We sit in a room and we ask each other about what they did this week or what'd you do last weekend? What are the problems you ran into? What's a scenario? Tuesday night, I was downtown and my phone battery was dying and it was raining outside. You know, it's like you start with those kind of perceptions. I literally the other day said something my parents have been divorced since I was four years old and they have a fine relationship, but I've, I've never really, really been to dinner with 
both of my sisters and both of my parents at the exact same time, probably in my entire life. And I just kind of said, I was like, hey, this is my scenario. I walked into an editorial meeting. I was like, oh, good, you guys are all together. Question, I was like, here's my scenario. I was like, these people are all gonna be in a room together. Like, I need kind of a place that's, and I started to went down that line, and they all just looked at each other, and they're like, where to go when both your parents are divorced and they're gonna be at a dinner at the same time? Bam, immediately, that's a guide, right? And it's like, when you really think about not, serving people content and you really start from a perspective of like, what do people really want the problem solved for? Or what are things that anyone can relate to? You know, that's an area when you start from that perspective, advertising goes away, right? Or media serving people sort of goes away and it just becomes pure organic and not just the buzzword organic. It's like the real expression of organic content or organic editorial. And like to your point about hotels or airlines or really any space product experience, like if you can just put yourselves in the shoes of people and start there and work backwards, that's the step in the right direction to the space we're in now, you know? 100%. Mm-hmm. 100%. And that can be for hotels in the room design. And it doesn't have to be a luxury hotel. You can be a hotel RL in Brooklyn that has completely modernized how they're hanging hooks in the space or where the products are being placed in the bathroom and um, or how the packaging is presented or what the look is. And it can be budget or it can sure. be as specific as at a luxury hotel. You know, when we talk about really Chateau. Part of the reason these hotels are amazing is because the staff is trained to meet the guests where where they're at mentally when they get there. So understanding that Nick and his wife just flew from New York City and they just came off of, you know, this sort of thing and they're looking to have a X type of experience. And knowing that Nick really likes popcorn and we're going to make sure that he has popcorn in his room when he goes mm-hmm. back after dinner, even though he just had the most epic food experience. For sure. Or I could tell that the two of them seem really stressed because they have just gotten off flights and are trying to decompress. How can we make that experience better? Absolutely. Let's give him a welcome beverage. And it can be, it's really that intuitive service that you're talking about with the types of lists that your editorial team is putting together. That is basically the same exact thing that's happening in really well done hotels, whether it's budget or luxury. I think that's at the core, like people are so, when we talk to third party, whether it's partners or investors or whoever it is that may not be that familiar with our company, they're fascinated about how we as a media brand have an audience. We have a, we have a fandom, you know, we've taken a lot of cues of how to like cultivate fans or feel connected to them from the music industry, but it's the exact sentence of they get me, right? And that can be the, the they in that sense could be anything, right? It can be, again, a hotel, it can be an airline, it can be a restaurant, it can be really anything. And if you're getting people to say, this place gets me, or that company gets me, or this brand gets me, like, that's the lifelong relationship you want to create with a consumer, right? When you mentioned Tequila Mexico, I think just the random social media stuff I was putting out while we were on that trip, granted, we had an incredible experience that we were hosted, got to do some amazing stuff. But I think the majority of people that were just like, where are you right now? Like, that looks amazing. I want to come there. And it wasn't because I was putting out anything that visually looked incredible. It was just solely that 
We were doing the things that you do in Tequila, Mexico. We went to an agave field and we planted an agave plant. And that wasn't like some VIP experience that no one gets to do. Anyone in Tequila, Mexico can go do that. It's true that anyone can take a selfie with a mule, <laughs> as you did. A mule and planted an agave plant. And it was like just like those little things that are unique to that space that it wasn't some beautifully shot ad or photo or anything other than just like a natural real experience that was simple and can make anyone go, oh man, that's awesome. I want to do that. So if any brand can do it, then why do you think that brands are not doing it more? Great question. It's hard to break the mold or the muscle memory that you have of just, here is this feature we have. How can we just force feed it to people and tell them this is what it is and this is what you should do and this is how you should experience it. And starting to get into the idea of not how do we tell people what they should do and more let people know that this is a thing and to come participate in it and then have them go tell the story for you. And I think we're getting there. I think brands are getting there. Obviously the influencer culture is like the first step in that. It's like, oh, you invite these people or you have X, Y, and Z person do this because they have big reach and they have air quotes influence. But I think it's bigger than that. I think it's more that the next step is to know that you just put this in the hands of people. And I think the challenge is why it's not happening more is that it just takes time, right? It's in the grand scheme of life and media and brands like social is still in its infancy. You know, I mean, you really stop and think about it, like Instagram is not that old. So I think we will get to a space where people understand how to have more of two way conversations with audiences and invite them to do things and, I've been around plenty of people that have sat around in a room and go, how can we start the next ice bucket challenge? And it's like, that's not how those things happen. You know, it's like, you can't, that wasn't someone sitting around in a room that came up with the ice bucket challenge or, you know, it's like, but we're getting there. They're at least thinking about that's what we need. Right. And the minute we get to the point where people realize that that's not how those things happen, then we'll really be in it. It takes a little time. You have to break the mold of broadcast television advertising is not really that valuable anymore. And how people consume media is different. And ultimately, like, you know, the common thread through all of this is relating to people, making them feel like you understand them, and then inviting them to participate in whatever it is your brand or your company or experience wants them to participate in. So one thing that you love for your followers on your personal Instagram channel mm -hmm. to participate in is Hot Take Tuesdays. Ooh, that's a good one. So it is not Tuesday. And this <laughs> is, of course, Tuesday. a podcast where people could presumably listen any day of the week. Sure. But I'm going to throw one at you. Okay. So as fellow carnivores, and I would actually go so far as to say that we are avid carnivores, the both of us. <laughs> yes. I offer you this food trend, Hot Take. Plant-based meat is actually a tasty alternative. That is a hot take. Well, it is a hot take that you are implying that it is a tasty alternative. I, I the literally stock market said, would say that it is a very <laughs> financially like, really viable alternative. Be politically correct with my answer. No, I actually just said, I read like a headline that said something that like the plant-based meat trend and like da-da-da-da-da after that. And I was like, that would be really funny to just be on a t-shirt, plant-based meat trend. But like- yeah, it's a trend. You know you've arrived. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a thing. Um, it's everywhere. 
I'll see your hot take and I'll raise you one. I was with somebody the other day who is in politics and we were having a great round table discussion about all things life and people. Someone asked a great question. What do you think the thing our kids will say when they're old that they'll say, I can't believe my parents did X, right? And his immediate response was eating meat. He was like, I think the whole next generation will progressively move towards not eating meat in any capacity. We were all flabbergasted by that. But if you look at what's happening and Gen Z and how they perceive the world, it is a reality that could be a thing. I can't say whether or not I think it is a tasty alternative because I think they are vary at a high level. <laughs> I think some places do it good and some places do it very bad. As an animal lover, like all that aside, like I think it's a great thing that's happening and it's introducing the idea of vegetarianism or food alternatives in all capacities to a lot of people that had never thought to do it before, right? Especially in middle America or other areas of the world. So I think it's nothing but a good thing. It's one of those trends where you're like, okay, this is actually a positive thing, even if it is just a trend and it's something that's people are doing it just to do it for optics sake. It's at least a positive thing. And I think it's um, something that's good. Do I agree with that politician in that I think our kids will all not eat meat one day? I personally don't think I could stop. Um, but by the time my kids are old enough to be my age, I will probably, well, who knows where we'll be at. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's a good thing. If, if a food trend is ultimately has a, a good reasoning behind it, it's only a good thing. Right. And like a lot of food trends don't have that <laughs> root good cause behind them. So we'll chalk this one up as a, as a good one and a good win. Yeah, you know. Very, very political spin. <laughs> I An mean, unexpected politically correct spin, Nick. Having unicorn-flavored everything is not <laughs> rooted in a good cause, so we can do without that. Awesome. Thanks, Nick. So who else is already booking a flight out to Seattle? Our conversation with Nick was so fun that we broke this episode into two parts. So if you like this, be sure to check out the other where we twist off of foodies and into marketing genius. Until next time, this is Lauren Newton with JPR. Always travel elevated. <laughs>